Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Some of you probably don't know Douglas Copeland or have never heard of him. He's actually a rather accomplished novelist and artist from Canada. And he is known for saying this, when you crop the photo, you tell a lie. Now, I don't know if that's completely true or not. I mean, after all, every photograph is limited in its scope, including this one right here. And some of those limits are intentional. Anytime you zoom in or zoom out with a photograph, you're setting limits in that scope. But perhaps what Copeland has in mind is this tendency made really, really easy with smartphones is to crop photographs, not for artistic or aesthetic reasons, but simply to remove the parts of the photo that we don't happen to like to kind of delete certain personal characteristics or features that we would prefer to hide or deny or to crop out or eliminate parts of the truth or reality that we wish weren't true or that we wish didn't exist. Maybe so we can make ourselves and our lives and our world seem a little bit better than they actually are. Like this, for instance, if you look at the cropped photo on your left, it looks like somebody's enjoying a vacation spot at a very nice resort, but then when you see the uncropped photo, you can tell that that's not really what's happening at all. Or you can see this cropped photo, it looks like this person owns this really nice, pristine vehicle in the cropped photo, but when you move back a little bit and get the uncropped version, not so nice of a vehicle. So we can crop these things out. So Copeland is at least right in that we can sometimes be somewhat deceptive in cropping photos in order to present a carefully crafted version of ourselves or of our lives that we can then present to others, we can display to others, or we can post even on social media. But let's be honest, we're not just doing these kinds of things on social media and we're not just cropping photographs. We are almost always doing some kind of editing of ourselves and of our lives and our interactions with others as we go about our day. We crop all kinds of truths out about ourselves and about our lives that we wish wish weren't true. We cover them up, we keep them hidden, or we deny them from others. And isn't it true that one of the more common things about our lives that we tend to crop out from view from others is our struggles and the troubles that we're experiencing in life. And in addition to the reality of those troubles, the kind of powerlessness, inability, fragility, and weakness that those troubles expose within us. But the scriptures would encourage us to take a very different approach to our troubles. Rather than cropping those things out, we're called to be a people of truth. And that includes believing and confessing the truth about trouble. So that's what I want to consider with you this morning, the truth about trouble. And we see this approach taken in Scripture, not cropping it out, but facing it honestly. We see this frequently in Scripture. We see it quite frequently in the Psalms. We see it in the prophets. We see it in the New Testament. We see it with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. So that's our text this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. And so when you find that, in your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find one in the seats in front of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Let's stand to hear God's word this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, 
For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, this passage here both encourages us to speak the truth about trouble, but it also speaks the truth about trouble to us, okay? It's doing both of those things. It encourages us to speak the truth about trouble, and it speaks the truth about trouble to us. And I want to consider four truths about trouble and about dealing with trouble from this text. And the first thing we see is this, honesty. Don't conceal the reality of your troubles. Look with me in verse 8. Paul says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Paul isn't interested in concealing the reality of his affliction, a word that could also be translated tribulation or trouble or hardship. He's honest about it. He doesn't want people to be unaware of those things. But isn't that generally the opposite of how we often respond? Wouldn't it be more typical of us to say, I want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of my affliction. We have a tendency to conceal our troubles and be less than honest about how we're doing, even with people who are close to us. And maybe one of the reasons that we do that is out of our pride. We conceal because of pride. We want to glory only in our strength. And we want to believe that we're supposed to be able to solve all of our problems. But that's not what Paul says. That's not what Paul would lead us to believe. Or maybe we have a tendency to conceal our troubles because of shame. Believing that if Christians are experiencing affliction and trouble and hardship, it must mean that they have forfeited God's love and blessing and favor in their life by committing some kind of unforgivable or egregious evil sin. That that's why they must be experiencing trouble. So they don't want to share that. They want to conceal that. But that's not what Jesus teaches about his people who are experiencing afflictions or trouble. Jesus says in John 16, verse 33, in the world you will have tribulation. Same word here, by the way, that's translated affliction in our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Same word. Jesus doesn't say in the world you might have tribulation. He doesn't say in the world you could have tribulation if you're not my disciple, he says to his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation. Being a child of God does not exempt you from experiencing the trials and hardships of life. It doesn't. I mean, where would we get such an idea <laughs> that we're somehow exempted from troubles and afflictions and hardships? Would we get it from studying the book of Genesis and looking at the life of Joseph? Would we get it from studying the life of Moses or David? Would we get that idea from Elijah or Job or Jeremiah or Daniel? Moving into the New Testament, would we get that idea from John the Baptist or from Jesus or from Paul? 
Being a Christian does not exempt us from undergoing the afflictions and troubles and hardships of life. It, being a Christian does mean that we have additional resources for dealing with those troubles. It doesn't mean that we're exempt from experiencing them. Psychologist Bob Kellerman puts it this way, the world is fallen and it often falls on us. And that's true for non-Christians and it's true for Christians. And so don't we all just need to stop giving off this vibe that Christians are the kinds of people who have it all together, who live trouble-free lives that are uninterrupted happiness? I mean, all that does is it causes people who are suffering to keep that hidden out of fear that the seemingly perfect people around them will discover the dirty truth. And so that's another reason we can conceal. We conceal because of fear. Because we think that the Christian life is supposed to be trouble-free. And so Christians who are suffering go outside the church to support groups where they can find places to be really honest about their troubles. That shouldn't be the case because the reality is no one has it all together here this morning. No one. Nobody here is living a trouble-free life. I remember a quote that Pastor Bob shared not long ago that's really stuck with me. It was this, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And that's exactly right. Maybe not the same battle, maybe not an equally hard battle, but everybody you meet is fighting some kind of hard battle. We all have bad days, hard weeks, difficult months, and sometimes really long years. That's all of us. As we come in here this morning, we all deal with grief and loss of some kind. We're all experiencing messy relationships, conflict, rejection. We're all still processing the wounds and difficulties and insecurities that have resulted from childhood experiences. We're all dealing with growing up in dysfunctional homes, sometimes broken homes. Some of you this morning are dealing with shame and with heavy guilt, with anxiety, panic attacks, depression, anger, rage, difficulty sleeping, fear of the future. Some of you are dealing with enormous stress from work that's unrelenting. Some of you are dealing with the stresses of having no work. Some of you have unrelenting financial pressures that never seem to get resolved. Some of you are dealing with physical ailments and weaknesses, some chronic, undiagnosed. Some of you are struggling with substance abuse, with addictions to pornography or food. Some of you are dealing with the demands, challenges, and fears of raising children. And others are dealing with the challenges of growing up, dealing with parents, dealing with siblings, dealing with school, dealing with grades, dealing with peers, dealing with dating, dealing with all these heavy decisions about the future. And all of us are dealing with the trouble of temptation, sin, and the evil one. This is a world that is filled with trouble. Did I cover yours? Did I hit it? Or did I miss it? And if I missed it, would you tell me what it is? Or would you hide it out of pride, shame, or fear? 
the point is not that you need to tell everybody about your troubles, every stranger you meet on the street, but the question you have to ask yourself is, are you being honest about your troubles with anyone? Are you being honest about your troubles with anyone? And if not, why not? Learn from the Apostle Paul here in his honesty. Don't conceal the reality of your troubles. But there's a second thing to see here as well, and that's humility. Don't deny the feelings about your troubles. Don't deny the feelings about your troubles. Listen carefully. Suffering and trouble are not just things that happen to us. They are things that happen in us. The world is not just a fallen place that sometimes falls on us. The world is a mess and it messes with us. We are constantly interpreting our circumstances. We are constantly responding to our trouble emotionally. We're always doing that and our emotions are telling us something. We see this in the Apostle Paul right here in verses 8 and 9. Listen to what he says. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Do you hear how he's talking? He's not just admitting his troubles. He's saying it was beyond our strength. We despaired. We felt the sentence of death. Doesn't it sound like Paul's admitting that the troubles were more than he could handle? That he was overwhelmed? Does that sound familiar to you? Do you ever feel overwhelmed in the midst of your trouble and hardship? Do you ever feel sometimes like you can't go on? Do you ever feel like these troubles are so heavy you can no longer carry the burden? Do you ever feel like you can never be the same again because of this trouble? Do you ever feel like you're becoming unglued or unhinged, losing all perspective? Do you ever feel like you're dying inside or feel like you're suffocating or drowning in despair? Do you ever feel that way? So did Paul. So did Jesus in Gethsemane. And in humility, Paul doesn't deny his feelings of inability and that these troubles were too much for him to bear. Sometimes you're not okay. And it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to tell other people that you're not doing okay. But the only way that you can do that is in humility. Don't deny the feelings about your trouble. Because it's in admitting your feelings about your troubles that you're forced to realize you can't handle your troubles on your own. That's when you are forced to admit that. You can't handle your troubles on your own. You might be saying, well, wait a minute. Doesn't God's word tell me that God will never give me more trouble than I can handle? Well, the Bible does say this. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the Bible does say that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to resist. In other words, you never have a justification for falling into sin. But that's different than saying God's never going to give us more trouble than we can handle. As much as we wish the Bible said that, God doesn't say that. So maybe we should just stop beating ourselves up with the question, if I'm supposed to be able to handle all these troubles, if I'm supposed to be able to handle life on my own, 
Why can't I? Or why do I do such a poor job of it? It's because you're not supposed to. When you get to the point where you're feeling overwhelmed and you cannot handle things or manage things on your own, it's not because there's something wrong with you. It's not because there's something wrong with your faith. It's because you're right. You can't handle the weight of life's troubles on your own. But you know what? You were never intended to. And you don't have to. It's actually a third thing that we see here, right? And it's hope. Don't miss the purposes of God for your troubles. Yes, Paul is honest about the reality of his troubles. And yes, he states clearly the despair that he feels and his sense of weakness and inability to handle things on his own. But he also expresses hope because he doesn't miss the purposes of God for his troubles. Look with me in verse 9. Yes, Paul says, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but... It's one of those glorious buts of scripture, right? But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Listen, isn't it true that most of the time as we navigate through life, we're relying on ourselves. We're relying on our own resources, our own intellect, our own abilities, our own strength, our own wisdom, our own ideas, our own solutions, our own answers. Right? And it isn't until we're confronted with trouble that we realize that we can't handle things on our own and we turn to God and we rely on him instead of, of ourselves. And so God brings Paul and his companions and he brings us to the end of our own resources, to the place where we can't handle things on our own, but he does that for a purpose. And the purpose is so that we'll set our hope on him to use the language that Paul uses in verse 10. He does that so we'll rely on him who alone is our rock and our fortress, our refuge and our strength and our deliverer. Listen, our hope for dealing with the troubles of this life don't reside in us. It's not in us, our own resources, our own wisdom or our own strength or solutions. Our hope for dealing with trouble is in God. And listen to what Paul tells us about this God upon whom we are to rely. He raises the dead. You hear that? He's a God who raises the dead. You know what that means? That means what is impossible for you is not impossible for God. He accomplishes what is impossible for us. He is able to lift you above your despair. He is able to mend those broken relationships no matter how fractured they appear to you. He is able to bring good, good out of the evil that has been done to you and out of the evil that you have done. He is able to restore joy to broken, grieving hearts. He is able to deliver from the bondage of addictions. He is able to heal. He is able to cover your shame. He is able to forgive your guilt. He is able to heal your scars. He is able to fashion holiness in you out of your hardships. He is able to sustain you day by day by his grace when your circumstances and troubles don't change as quickly as you'd want them to. He is able to provide enabling grace. He can bring light out of darkness and he can bring life out of death. He's done that. 
He's brought life out of death through the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who is risen. And if Jesus can conquer the grave, he is able to lift me above my troubles, no matter what they are. Right? We can put our hope in him. There's hope in the resurrection. There's hope in Jesus. And so look to him, cry out to him, pray to him, rely upon him. It's been said that in order to trust the anchor and know its strength, you must experience the storm. We don't learn to rely on God unless we get to the point where we know we can't handle things on our own. We don't learn to trust God as our anchor that will hold unless we get to the end of our resources. But it's there that we learn the truth about trouble. And the truth about trouble is not that God won't give us more trouble than we can handle. The truth about trouble is God will never give us more trouble than he can handle. And that's what he wants us to know. There's never too much trouble that he can't handle. He wants us to know that, so we'll rely upon him. And here's something we got to get into our heads. God's aim for you is not to make your life easy. It's not to make your life easier so you can navigate through life getting along just, well, without him, as it may be. No. His aim for you is to know your need for him more than anything else to trust him, to rely upon him, to put your hope and set your hope upon him who raises the dead. That's what he's working for us and in us. His aim is not just to get us out of trouble as quickly as possible so then we can just go back and start relying on our own strength again, which is what most of us would do. John Payton was a missionary pioneer who was evangelizing cannibals in the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. He was warned a number of times not to go because previous missionaries had been eaten there. But he went anyway, and shortly after he began his work there in 1858, uh, he found himself burying his wife and his young son with his own hands as they succumbed to an illness. And he writes this of that experience. These are words of John Payton. He says, let those who have ever passed through any similar darkness as of midnight, feel for me, as for all others. I'm sorry, feel for me. But as for all others, it would be more than vain to try to paint my sorrows. I am certain I would have gone mad or died of grief beside their lonely graves. Note his honesty. He's not concealing his troubles. And note his humility. He's not denying his feelings about his troubles. I'm convinced I would have gone mad or died there by those lonely graves. But then he adds this. If it had not been for Jesus and the fellowship and grace he afforded me. He sets his hope on Jesus, risen from the dead, and relies upon him. Satan wants you to do one of two things, friends. He wants you to crop trouble out of your life, to conceal it, he wants you to crop your feelings out, deny your feelings so that you remain isolated in your trouble. And when you can no longer do that because it gets too much to bear, he wants you to crop God out of the picture so that you remain hopeless. Isolated and hopeless is where he wants to leave you. But that's not how scripture would call us to approach it. Be honest, be humble, and set your hope on God. You've got to crop all those things in. 
crop it all and crop the reality of your troubles, your feelings about your troubles, and God. And rely upon him who raises the dead and upon Jesus who has been risen. He is your hope. Rely upon him. And the reason all this is so important is it's because facing the truth about trouble is what leads us to reliance upon, the, upon God who raises the dead. When we deny our weakness and our inability, what we're doing is denying our need for the gospel. We're denying our need for God when we deny our weakness and inability. So one of the other ways that we avoid that denial is the fourth thing. And that's help. Don't forsake the prayers of others in your troubles. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. You also must help us by prayer. Do you see for Paul, relying on God did not mean failing to enlist the help and prayer support of others around him. He didn't believe that canceled out actually relying on God. And at the same time, he didn't view enlisting prayer support of others as a way of seeking deliverance from people in the place of God. He saw both of those things coming together because after all, what's he asking people to help with? Prayer, prayer to God. Prayer which is implicitly this acknowledgement of human weakness and inability and powerlessness and a casting of ourselves upon our Heavenly Father in complete dependence and reliance upon Him and we are to do that together. But of course, you can't ask people to pray for you if you're not being honest about the reality of your troubles or being honest about your inability to handle those things on your own. You will never do it. And we together won't place our hope in God through prayer. And so here's a challenge I have for all of us. Sometime, sometime this week, maybe even today, at some point this week, share a trouble or struggle that you've been experiencing lately with a trusted brother or sister in Christ. You can do this at a life group, you could do it at a Bible study. You can do it one-on-one at some point this week. But find a trusted brother or sister in Christ and share a trouble that you haven't shared yet and ask that person to pray for you. You can do that this week, right? You can do that. And let's look for the result that Paul talks about in verse 11. Look what he says there at the end. He says, you must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. See where this is all leading for Paul? This leads to worship and thanksgiving. This all leads to worship and thanksgiving of the God who delivers. Listen, denying our weakness and our need for the resurrecting power of Jesus doesn't lead to worship. It doesn't lead to thanksgiving and it doesn't lead, it doesn't lead to deepened fellowship. Acknowledging our weakness and dependence upon the resurrecting power of Jesus does lead to those things. And it leads us to worship the God who delivers us, as Paul is doing in verse 10. Look again in verse 10 what Paul says. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. Until he doesn't. Right? Anybody else thinking that? Until he doesn't, though, right? Tragedy strikes sometimes. Sometimes people aren't delivered from the deadly peril that Paul is delivered from here and his companions. We're not always spared from death. Our loved ones are not always spared from death. Eventually we get sick and we don't get better. Right? What then? What about all this then? Well then, we still are the victors. 
Because this language that Paul is using about God raising the dead is not symbolic. It's not figurative. It's not metaphorical. It's not just an image he pulls out so we can be encouraged and have some hope that God can lift us above our troubles. This language about God raising the dead is literal. It's literal for Jesus, our risen Savior, and it's literal for all of those who believe in him and trust in him for salvation. God raises the dead. We will be ushered into eternal glory where there will be no more trouble. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more curse. Every tear will be wiped from your eye. Every shadow will be dispelled. Every grave conquered for those who are trusting Jesus. God will deliver us either in this age or in the one to come. But he is the God who will deliver us. But this is true, right? We're not in glory yet. In this world, you will have tribulation. So let's face the truth about trouble with honesty, not concealing the reality of our troubles, with humility, not denying our feelings about our troubles. Let's face the truth about trouble with hope, not missing the purposes of God in our trouble. And let's face the, um, what's the name of the sermon again? uh, Truth about trouble. I almost forgot there for a second. Let's face the truth about trouble with help, not failing to enlist the prayer support of others. But let's remember this the whole time. In all of that, let's remember this. Jesus didn't just say in John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation. He actually says this. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. Be of good cheer. Have hope. I have overcome the world. We overcome all of our trouble in him and with him who has risen from the dead, our Savior Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us to be a people who face the truth about trouble. Trouble's real. And there's a lot of it around us and in us. Help us to be honest about that. Help us to be humble about our inability so it turns us to you, Lord, with whom all things are possible. We look to you and you alone for deliverance. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to pray for one another as we together learn reliance and dependence upon you alone as our great deliverer. And we praise your name, Father, for our Savior Jesus, risen from the dead. In his name we pray, amen.